Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Yalo. If you're ever recording from a different location, I'm going to totally make sure that that is in. <laughs> my good friend from Utah. Utah. <laughs> Oklahoma. They're like, God, where does this guy live? Probably Florida, realistically. You'll be a man of mystery. <laughs> Can we have spy music for this one? Ooh, spy music. Do you have any spy music? There's like a certain like chord progression. Oh, I know. It's always, yeah. Okay. We're going to do this one. Spy music it is. Hell yeah. Very mysterious. On today's episode, um, I have it kind of written down that this is a pretty like unnecessary episode. It's not really like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not really an episode that I'm looking forward to talking about, <laughs> but it's like, it's a good episode kind of in like humility, but I, you're going to kind of like see a little bit of the inner workings and I don't really want to talk about it, but I also really want to talk about it. Also, in all honesty, it's really good clickbait. So that's kind of the reason for this episode. Um it's so, not the reason we didn't do it for clickbait. <laughs> we did because it it's important. We topic. don't do anything for clickbait. Right. You're right. Yeah, 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 perfect. <laughs> um, so, anywho, it's 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 not clickbait, but this is going to be a fantastic clickbait title. <laughs> um, but it's essentially going to be um, around the whole thing about rate structuring and uh, like essentially charging a rate, uh, raising your rates, and then if you ever get into a place to where you need to lower your rates, uh, also kind of dabbles into that as well. Mm-hmm. So, and then kind of like currently where like Sam and I are as far as like where our, where our, where our rate is. There were like a lot of R's and O's and like weird th- mouth things going Robin on. Robin ran away. <laughs> yeah, Sam and I haven't recorded for three weeks. So if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of grace, that'd be fantastic. Anyway, Sam, why don't you go ahead and take us into housekeeping so I stop talking. Welcome, friends. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode. And on today's housekeeping, you have the unique opportunity to go like, subscribe, share, most likely share. We really want you to share the podcast with a friend, family, or foe, or animal, your dog, your cat, or a artificial intelligence, whichever. We just want it to be shared. That's probably the most helpful thing is if you share it with someone. So share it. Can I say share again? Share it. Uh, if you could do that, take 10 seconds, 30 seconds, share the episodes on social media. That's huge. Instagram is a big deal for us um, because we're older and we use Instagram. And a lot of our audience is mainly on Instagram. So share it on Instagram. And I think that's all I need to say about it. It reminds me of like, you know, that we always talk about the Showtime Rotisserie Barbecue. Yes. She's like, set it. And forget like, it. The crowd's like, forget it. It's like, like, comment, and, and share. <laughs> Can we have an audience? <laughs> or is that going to, that would be too much. I mean, audience is pretty easy. I got plenty. But of, saying a, share. Oh, share. I could probably yeah. create that too. Let me write these things down real quick. Is share singing in the background right now? I have to make spy music. There's like week. so many layers to sharing. And share. People chanting, chanting, share. I can make that. I'll squeeze that in somewhere. Like C-H-E-R. Share. Probably not going to be a share to do a share chant. I don't know if I can pull it off. Yeah. I don't know her. You don't think she's a listener? Uh, I don't know if she is, you know? I'll reach out to her. Let me... Let you me, reach out to her. I'll at least send a DM. Hey, share. share. We need people to share this podcast. I will DM her and see Let's what Let's share happens. it up. All right. That'd be hilarious. Note to DM share later. Just tell her that we're a big deal. We believe in love. I'm typing it out. If you can hear me (laughs) typing. The Um, DM. Okay. I think that takes care of housekeeping. Well, perfect. (laughs) As it should. And the rest of my week, I know what I'll be doing. There you go. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So this episode is called Why I'm Lowering My Rate. Boom. Um... This has kind of been an episode I've thrown around for about three to four weeks. And um, it's more, I would say, geared towards like, like that that whole part of the story is more geared towards me as opposed to Sam. Um, and I guess I'll start, 
Was there anything you want to say before I start talking? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, Obviously. Damn. No, I want you to start off if it fits into your monologue of your formula of calculating rates, your famous formula that you've slightly tweaked. Because I think that's, yeah, that's super helpful. I'm, yeah, I was just going to get into oh, it. Oh, well, shoot. Okay, proceed. <laughs> well, shoot. <laughs> All right. So I do have a formula um, for rate calculation, how you should calculate your rates. Um, <clears throat> and I've had a bit of a rate increase uh, over I don't know, the past like four or so years. Um, let's call it let's call it six years. I've been doing this. I don't really know when I started, but I know it's been eight years right now. I'm like on year eight. Um, and the first two years was just like a lot of studying. And then um, I started like at 50 bucks because I was like, eh, if you're below 50 bucks, it's not really a client that I really want to have. And it's, if that's you, then that's you. And if that's your market, then, you know, good for you. And it wasn't my market. Um, and then... It kind of became a little burdensome to do like 50 bucks and whatnot. So I bumped, excuse me, I bumped my rate up to $85 and that was cool and whatnot. And uh, in March of 2021, so this is 2021, but for 2021, if anyone is listening to this in any other year than 2021, <laughs> um, I raised mine to 125 Here's why I did that. There's a few reasons why you raise your rate. Um, the, and like one of the kind of like outliers on raising your rate is if you just have like, if there, if, if you're just like way too booked out, then it's like, okay, well maybe you need to, to raise your rate. And so I was getting to the point to where I was five and then to a point, like six weeks booked out, like people were waiting six weeks, which is kind of mind blowing to me. Um, and so I was like, eh, I don't really... Like, I felt really uncomfortable um, making people wait like six weeks. And I would just, I would try to do whatever I could to serve the people and the music that I would have, but on a more expedited timeline. And then I kind of got into this mental kerfuffle on. Kerfuffle? That's it. That's, that's my non swearing swearing. Love it. Um, kind of like fiddlesticks. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I got into this mental kerfuffle of I need to make sure that even though we're working on a little bit more of an expedited timeline to maybe see if we can take this five, six weeks and we can turn it into maybe like a five or a four and a half weeks uh, wait time. We got to make sure that we're not going to be jeopardizing any quality on the person who waited for their session to be right now. And so it got to a point to where I was like, I think I just have to raise my rate and then whoever stays, stays. And so I went up about 40 bucks a song to uh, 125 and that's currently where I am now. And I've thought, um, not necessarily because business hasn't been there since raising my rate, it's the business that I really care about the most hasn't been there. And not saying that like, Everyone who comes to me outside of the market I'm about to talk about is not important. That's not what I'm saying. I love anyone who does like, uh, like uses me for mastering and whatnot. Um, but right now, and like the past eight or so years, I've been servicing Charleston, South Carolina, and that is like the market that I absolutely love. I love supporting the music scene here and whatnot, and so. <clears throat> Um, I feel as though I have outpriced my market and I've, I kind of like have these like mental graphs of like, okay, well I have like international clients and that kind of hangs around a certain percentage and very like kind of slowly grows. Um, it's nothing like too crazy, but I, it, it's a, like, I, I really like it. The only reason that I'm, I've always like swayed with international clients is because you kind of have to get into um, a type of payment system to where you're like, like you're doing like a PayPal and that's kind of like it, or you're doing some type of a bank wire or something like that, that you're going to have to pay a fee 
to do stuff with. And so I'm not saying that obviously these clients are not worth that. And I'm not saying that at all. Um, I absolutely love like the people who like, like give me like their stuff like internationally. It's like the mixes are absolutely fantastic. I couldn't be more happy with them. And um, I love being able to help out on those projects. Um, And then uh, I have stuff that's kind of like all like within the U.S. from there. Um, And all of that's like, like anytime you raise your rate, you're going to have a drop and then it kind of picks back up. And so that picked back up, I don't know, like uh, two or so months afterwards. It's like you kind of lose some people and then like some sessions happen and then people like, yeah, let's go back to this guy. And so that's definitely picked back up. And then... Um, you have like kind of the the Charleston business that I really like, I really adore. Um, that's kind of dropped to a little bit lower than I would feel comfortable just because I really, like I said, I really enjoy servicing this market. So with that said, we're going to kind of get into what Sam was talking about in the beginning and I created this formula. Let's see how long ago. When was this note that I made? It was... Uh, it doesn't tell me the day I created it. It's been at least it the a day few, I edited a few it. years. Yeah, if you can sure. go back to the, you can go back to the. There's like a podcast on like you should raise your rates, which is ironic now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not saying that that is no longer a relevant podcast. What I'm saying <laughs> is, where what I am talking about right now is something called emotional intelligence, and you're kind of like anytime you're say speaking to an audience. Um, you need to understand who you're speaking to. It's probably the most important thing about public speaking. Um, it's why Sam and I, while we could have a podcast on small business very easily, we have a podcast on mastering. And so we are going to talk about things that, that are really going to alienate other small business like podcasts that we could otherwise like extend to. And so you have like some music podcasts, they're trying to like kind of broaden like the reach on who they're speaking to by being more broad. And I think by casting a wider net, I think you're actually attracting fewer fish. And so I would much rather have just talk to like, I know we have like um, some artists, production, uh, mixing, and then like a definitely a core of mastering engineers. And um, I really... Like, I I love the mix engineers. I love the producers and everything. And it's like, this is a, a podcast for them as well as like the mastering engineers. And I don't mind talking technical, like r- compression ratios and stuff like that because I know y'all understand. And so like my buddy Ellis out in Colorado, who I've talked about, he like used to deploy, um, uh, he was like a contract for the, for the US, but uh, he was like an airplane mechanic. Uh, he would like deploy all over the world and he'd be listening to the early podcast, and I think he's like stuck with us this whole time. But he's like, "Man, there's just some episodes I don't even know what the heck you're saying." And uh, but I, that's why I don't mind painting with a with a little bit of a more narrow brush. Anyway, long story long, this formula for raising your rates or just calculation of your rates, um, it starts out in parentheses, and the math actually does not matter in this except for one point. Um, so in parentheses are the parts that you focus on first. You have TE, which is, uh, the T is time invested in the field. E is experience of working on the actual material. For instance, so if we talk about like, so like in another in a lifetime ago, I was a pilot. Um, time invested in the field could be like me reading books, like do an actual, like just kind of studying up on stuff in school or whatever it is. But experience of actually working on actual material, it's like, okay, how much stick time do you have? How much time do you have like actually flying the plane and doing legitimate work? Because a simulator is not at all like flying in the air. And like landing a simulator is pretty different than landing an actual aircraft. So you have TE, then plus VA. VA is value added to clients through affirmation and referrals. So uh, just like a quick way of like calculating like the value that you add. Um, So yes, the affirmation of like people saying, hey, you did a fantastic job. Them referring you to like their friends and uh, whoever. And then I think a metric I did not mention prior is 
Um, I, I think one of the biggest uh, key performance indicators called a KPI is um, return clients. I think that's a fantastic KPI. Now, granted, if your clients don't return for the next record, that doesn't mean you suck. They just might want a different vibe. But generally, if you do a great job, they will come back. So I think return clients is a definite like KPI as far as value add. Um, so all of that is in parentheses, TE plus VA. Then outside of parentheses, immediately, so like the multiplicative, um, the thing that affects everything else is M. Excuse me. I guess this T is like burping T, <laughs> whatever. Um, M is what the market is willing to pay. And so this is the part that I've really refined down. And it's going to be a value between zero and two. And I highly doubt it will be anything but that. So for instance, if you have... Um, time invested in the field, experience, and then you add value. However, you have absolutely zero market, then guess what your rate's going to be? It's going to be zero. So all of this equation then ends up in like equals R, which is your rate. TE plus VA multiplied by M equals R, your rate. So if your M is zero, then your rate is zero. If your M is one, it's if your market is willing to pay which you are which you are saying that you would like to charge then you're pretty good to go. You may want to consider bumping your rate up in a little while after like hanging there. Um just to kind of, you know, push things in a like positive direction financially for you. And if you're adding that value through time and experience and you can definitely be looking at doing that. Um if it is if you're at 100 but your M that like a hundred dollars, uh, say per song. But your M is at 0.5, then you only have a market that's willing to pay fifty dollars for your services, and so you are overpriced. There is a situation to where if you are at let's say fifty bucks, and then M is two, you have a market that is willing to pay you twice what you are charging, and so that is a very like big emotional intelligence type metric in how you wish to proceed uh, forward with that. And that's up to you to navigate those waters. And Samurai would be um, more than happy to help you navigate that and kind of figuring some of that stuff out. So you have TE plus VA multiplied by M equals R. Um, Here's kind of where I think I fit into that. I believe that I have outpriced um, the M in the market that to me is the market that I want to invest the most into personally. And so what this might look like is um, I may take things down from 125 down to 100. And this is also throttled by, it's like I have clients at 125. I have no problem like staying busy, but it's like I would like to be X percent busier and I know I could do that at a slightly lower rate. And so there's also like a little percentage kerfuffle, I'll say again, <laughs> that if you were to come down by that percentage, are you going to be that percentage or greater busier to essentially offset the price reduction that you are now taking in order to to satisfy the M, the market. And so there's there, there's there's a bunch of trade-offs in how this formula can be perceived and whatnot. And so the only, once again, the only value in this that actually is a mathematical value is M. And so you need to decide really what your market is willing to pay. Once again, if I'm talking to a group of mastering engineers about theater, I don't really think a lot of y'all care about that. And I don't really think that y'all would be tuning into a podcast on Matt Garber talking about theater. So um, know your audience, know what they're willing to pay, and then kind of decide like what your key audience is and what they are willing to pay for. Um, so my thought is what would happen if I were to take this down to like around a hundred bucks a song, and so this may this may fluctuate. It may be as a local rate. If you're listening to this and you want me to master your song, and you hear me say that I'm contemplating this, and if I do move forward with this, 
Um, you're more than welcome to say, hey, I heard your podcast that you were looking at doing 100 bucks a song. Is that a thing? And I may be willing to do that if I am there. If I am there, then I will do that. I'll honor it. There's also a whole nother side of, I don't necessarily, this is a very long monologue and not really as much of a conversation, um, but there's another parallel to this. There's another, like, there's another um, type of a timeline. Like, you know, in Back to the Future 2, when there's like, two timelines that you could they could be traveling on like Doc and Marty can be going like 1985 normal or 1985 like where Biff's the mayor mm -hmm. this is kind of like if you were to go 1985 normal as opposed to Biff the mayor so what I what you could do in this position is you could say I don't care as much about the business that I lost which I do care about that. And essentially you go back to your drawing board and you do the whole LinkedIn thing, Instagram thing, and you reach out to clients who would be willing to pay that new rate. And then you establish that clientele and whatnot and you move forward like that. So that's the other parallel universe that you could be operating in. And you can do both of these at the same time. You can establish one... Uh, set a clientele at your reduced rate so that you can maintain that local business. But you could also at the same time be recruiting a newer clientele at that um, increased rate to kind of justify that. So ultimately, what I think a lot of this boils down to is optics. And so if somebody, and I, and I think that the perfect uh, description for the optics and everything of this isn't down to the per song rate um, because that'd just be like a lot of singles at 125 bucks. Here's where I think my market boils down to and why this episode is an episode. And um, I'm not saying emotional intelligence a lot because I'm emotionally intelligent. If I was emotionally intelligent, I probably would know that I shouldn't rate my rate to $125 without knowing what happens to my local market. So... Um, the emotional intelligent part comes into realizing the optics of what happens um, with the larger albums. And so let's look at the LP. Is your market a market that's willing to pay, say, $125? Is your market a market that's willing to pay $1,250 for 10 songs? And if that answer is yes you have your rate because I think that it's also like an expandable thing. You could totally have a tiered type system um, also where it's, and this is just a lot to keep track of. You could have a tiered type system where you're at $125 for songs up to like up to seven songs. And then you tier it down to 95 and then maybe down to like 10 at 10 songs, you're at like 90 bucks or something like that. You could totally do that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, but um, I think the optics become very clear when you look at it from a band perspective of do you, like, is somebody going to pay you $1,250 for 10 songs? Or, and the, or where is that threshold? And I think for my Charleston market, the threshold is really around 1000 bucks for 10 songs. And then I think after that, it gets it can get a little bit squirrely from there. So that's kind of the that's kind of the mindset I'm taking. I still have a few cigars to smoke over this. I still have a few glasses of scotch to mull this over with. <laughs> I still have a handful of friends to talk to about this. Um, so this is all just like a work in progress. But I wanted to kind of invite you all, y'all, into this whole thought process with me. Because I think it's a really good like learning opportunity for a lot of people who are kind of willing to, you know, sit through through me talking a th like through a thirty minute monologue. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam, what say you? Uh, I think everything you said is great. I think it's super important <clears throat> for people that are listening to honestly go back and write down the formula or DM Matt for it because 
It's I'll a, put it in the liner notes of the podcast. It's very valuable because we're talking about money and over... I've been charging people money for music for 14 years, actually. That's probably when I first got paid 14 years ago to do some music for a fashion show. That was one of my first paid <laughs> gigs for a college fashion show at the fashion the fashion program for Illinois State University. You weren't in it, were you? I was not in it, no, but I made all the music for like the cat the catwalk, which was fun. And mainly consisted of at that time like garage band uh funky strut loop, I think was one of the main <laughs> ones I used. Um, anyway, it's really important because what I've learned talking with people and just in general life is money is super important to people. And if you don't have rates figured out um, and how to navigate raising them, lowering them, keeping them, mm-hmm. you will not have a business that's sustainable, I found. Um, for me, everything you just said is super important. Uh, my, I'll say my story of like rates is heavily based on my goals as a person, you know, I'll maybe shift into a different kind of talking here. But for me, when I was starting, I charged something. I was initially, I think it was like a 20 buck an hour situation at the studio I was assisting at. Then when I started mastering, I'll say, quote unquote, full time is such a moving target because it's like, what is full time defined as? Amount of money, amount of hours worked? Um, does it just pay your bills? And then everybody has different sorts of bills, so that's kind of a moving target. But when I, I'll say, put out to the world, hey, I'm a mastering engineer, uh, I was charging like 50 bucks a song. I had to raise my rates quite quickly um, for me personally because it wasn't actually enough money to make, uh, make it sustainable long-term. Mm-hmm. When you start running a business... You have to pay taxes. Uh, if you want to grow your business, the way you structure it is important. And that usually will involve CPAs and lawyers or tax attorneys. And then you have to have, well, you don't have to, but you've got to have for sure a computer uh, in theory and for sure headphones. Most people have more than that. They have gear. Even if you're in the box, you probably have a, diff- a, a decent computer software to maintain, et cetera, et cetera. So there's overhead, there's website, there's invoicing programs, there's whatever you use, there's always more expenses than most people realize. And then if you really want to grow, you realize, oh my gosh, it costs a decent amount of money to make more money. Mm-hmm. And then you evaluate, at least for me and my wife over the last 10 years, especially five years as, as the mastering company has grown a lot, um, you evaluate, is doing more work worth the expenses (laughs) if you have to hire assistants and CPAs and there becomes a a tipping point where in my opinion sometimes and it's all dependent on what you want to do with your do you want your business to grow into you know a giant company like a Sterling where you have five engineers under the parent umbrella brand brand essentially or do you just want to stay kind of yourself you know self-branded and sometimes as you are growing and increasing your rates, and then you realize, oh my gosh, there's so much work uh, that's required to basically make a lot of money. Um, It's something that's not talked about a lot. Um, With lowering your rates, for me, um, I will, at this stage, there there was a heavy period for about two years in my life where I did not budge on a rate when I was trying to grow the business. And that was at $100 a song. And at $100 a song, I knew I needed to do X amount of songs or projects a year to hit our financial goals for my wife and I to live the type of lifestyle we want. And everybody has should have different goals in theory and different lifestyle you want to want. Some people want a big car or a big car, big house and a big car, two cars, you know, whatever you want, certain gear. Um, If you have never done that, you should take some time and figure out what do you actually want and don't shy away from what you actually want. Don't limp into your uh, life essentially, (laughs) like put down what you really would want to use to work with signal flow, signal chain, you know, all that, put it all down and see what that equals. Um, and then I'm a big believer in reverse engineering that. So, you know, if you need to make a hundred grand a year, 
how many songs do you need to do? You need to do a thousand songs at a hundred bucks. Okay. Well, that's pretty doable as a master. It's engineer. nice. It's a round number. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, so you just start reverse engineering that, but you've got to, in my opinion, for me to get to the level I'm at, which is pretty well established, people in town definitely know the most mastering brand and what I offer and what I do. And it was definitely not always that way. I came to town as a nobody. Um, but over the last eight to nine years here, it's uh, it's grown and I've put a lot of work into it to, to meet people and find where I best fit in into the city. But I will say there's this weird kind of tipping point where if you are too cheap, people will not take you seriously. If you are 100%. too expensive people just won't even consider you. So you have to find, like Matt is kind of saying, is like, what is your market willing to pay? And then also the type of clientele. I think when you said that, uh, the clients you want to serve the most or work with the most, that is a crucial component, I think, for everybody to figure out is who do you want to work with? Because you can make a lot of money and hate your clients and you'll be miserable mm -hmm. and you can make a little bit of money but love your clients and probably be pretty happy. Um, it's the cheesy thing of like money can't buy happiness. It can buy some things for sure um, that do make me happy. But overall, I would agree that you know you'll burn yourself out, you'll quit your job if you're working on stuff you hate. And so for me, there was a time where I felt like personally I needed to be very firm on my rate and I needed to be taken seriously because say like C-level, indie labels, things of that nature. Uh, not like famous household name people, but like a step or two below that. Um, they expect to pay a certain amount of money. And if you're not charging that, then that looks suspicious. It gives off a brand new vibe or like you're not, you, you don't know what you're doing or you're not worth your, you know, you're not worth what you're offering. A lot of people limp into their market thinking, I'll charge a little bit to build up uh, I guess client list, but usually what you build up mm -hmm. is a client list of people who are also not exactly probably committed or as invested as you hope. Basically, it's not doing what you think it's doing in most cases. Now, there's probably mm -hmm. some situations of people in our audience who are like, no, it absolutely worked for me. It was great. That's awesome. Love it. Wonderful. Um, but for most people I've watched in Nashville specifically, the whole idea of let me charge a little to gain like a portfolio or credibility that I'm legit uh, just doesn't seem to work that well to get you to where you want to go, which is in theory, people, everybody for the most part immediately thinks, oh, I want to do label work. There's like this romanticized thing about label work. I think it's because there's a prestige or a credibility that people, normal people, everyday people can be like, oh, you work on this and it's on the radio or it's here. It kind of makes your ego happy or something. I get that. Um, and it kind of makes you feel like, yeah, I've actually done something that matters or in the industry. Most of that's very superficial. It's not, not important, but it's not the most important thing. Um, but with the rate thing, I had to do a couple of years, two, three years being very firm to be, I felt like taken seriously. And then you start to grow. You kind of, if you use Matt's equation, you will find kind of your sweet spot rate for the market and the type of clients you want. And then you start to grow and then people might start paying attention to you as you do more work and you're being taken seriously. And then for me, I started raising my rates more to what it is today, which is 150 for basically independent releases and 250 for um, label releases. And the difference is really in the time factor of label releases always take more time. We're doing more formats. There's more people involved. There's usually more time or effort that is required to wrap a label project compared to an independent project that is just one person involved or maybe one or two people. So there's a difference in charging for time. And then, of course, for me too, I think there's value in what I offer in that you're about to profit forever off a product I'm giving you or helping be a part of that you can go make money mm -hmm. on forever. So the investment 100%. into music is very actually low, even on the high end, in my opinion. If you're taking this seriously as a business, uh, if you're an artist, you pay 30k for an album or something, three grand a song. You can get some pretty great people involved for three grand a song who make records that make money. You're out 30 grand. 
you can make 30 grand back if you're taking it seriously. It's not, I'm not going to say it's not easy. It's, it's not easy, but it's not hard to make that. And you get to make money on it forever. So maybe you don't make it back the first year. Maybe you make it back in a couple of years, more fans. It can compound quite quickly um, if you do some proper planning. So what I've found is over the last, I don't know, three years since I think, I think that was about when I went to the 150. It was a few years ago, three years. Um, basically what I found is I started grandfathering in people who were lower because they were the ones who essentially gave me a chance to begin with. Um, and also I hit this tipping point financially for our lifestyle where I, in theory, basically don't need to be greedy. Like, I don't have to make everybody pay 150 or 250 um, in order to pay my bills at this stage because I have enough clients coming in all the time where you know it, I can be flexible. And there's a lot of people um, at this stage that come to me that like a lot of the work I do and they're doing cool work and they might not have the full budget. And so I have the freedom now and it's not, a negative thing I'll say at this stage, at least in a Nashville situation, where if I lower my rate, it no longer is viewed as degrading to my brand. It's viewed as, oh, he's being really nice, which is a weird tipping point of kind of how we view like, if you do free work for a long time, people don't respect you, respect you, but then you make a lot of money and then you offer your work for free, then people view you like, oh, you're established and now you're giving me a super good deal and I respect you even more for being able to, you know, invest into me. There's a weird thing that kind of happens uh, that I've noticed. So when I lower my rate now to invest into people, because I think, hey, this is a great band, or this is a great mixer, and I can tell in my, you know, filtering now, being in the industry for 10 to 12 years, this guy or this girl's got what it takes, you know, they're invested, you know, they're committed like I'm committed. And they're probably going to be around for the next 20, 30 years working on records like I'm going to be. So at that stage, the investment is worth it because as they grow, then they will most likely pay me more money over time. So the investment is worth it. Sometimes there's projects and bands, you know, I'll, they'll send me their stuff to work on, their budget's 75 a song or something. You know, I've talked about four in the other episodes about asking them, always, you can always ask people, hey, well, this is my normal rate. Is there any flexibility? They say, absolutely not. You know, you can say, can you save up, blah, blah. Anyway, I've talked about all that before, previous episodes. But if I choose to take it on, say, for 75 a track, um, you know, I might use it because I want to leverage, honestly, the project where the project's phenomenal, the band's great. And I think, too, once again, at this stage, this band could blow up and that's a good look to be in on the ground floor with them and kind of grow with them in theory. Now, I will say with that, as I've gotten better at picking and being able to tell who I think is committed, you know, I will stalk them like a website, social media before I choose to give up basically money and time, mm -hmm. whether or not I think they're worth it. And the ones I pick usually do grow quite a bit because I can say, I can see like, oh, they're active on social media. Oh, they're posting new content all the time. Oh, they've got a little bit of a following, a couple thousand people. Like, oh, their Spotify numbers have grown over time. Like you can do a 10 minute filter. And I think people should do that more often instead of just being like, oh my gosh, someone messaged me. I should take the work. Like you've mm -hmm. got to make sure it's a good fit. And ideally it's a good fit for a potential return client, like Matt was saying, which is a super important indicator of your business is do people return? Um, because a lot of people don't have return clients because they've, they've picked crappy clients. <laughs> it has nothing to do with your work and ability. It has to do with you're picking clients who are not committed, who are not posting online, who are not doing shows, who are not meeting people, who are not doing the things that an artist has to do, basically. They're not, they're not a business. So... When I see an artist or a client that I'm like, okay, they seem super active. They seem to understand that the music is one-tenth of the equation of the music industry. Um, then I'll say, okay, I'll take it on and I'll do it. The ones I've done, I just want to put this out there. When they do get signed or something, half the time, the whole team that was a part of getting the artist there to the, to the record label, the record label then drops all of us. <laughs> 
and mm-hmm. goes to the next higher up person. Um, I've had that happen number of times in the last two years where I find bands or I get brought on to like a say a B level artist and then a, you know we do a great job on a record streams you know 10 million times you know literally I've got a I, I don't even talk about it because it's too it's too fresh I'm not upset about it I'm stoked but it, <laughs> it's an artist that has exploded that our whole team got dropped and then a new team got brought on that's the more established team um, that I think is making not as good of records. But anyway, labels... I have a friend. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who uh, was talking to me and he was saying how, yeah, I'm doing this project for free because I think that this person has potential and then they move up, I move up. And I said, well, not really. Sometimes, it's like, yeah, you but think not really. that, Right. But it's like... <laughs> If this person is so good that they get like signed by a big label or right. something like that, you're not going with them. Right. Most of the time you, you and won't. your bedroom studio <laughs> are going to stay right where you are. You're correct. Unless like you just start like contracting label work right. from the label itself. Right. And so unless you're the contact for the label, you're not going to get that. Don't just think, "Oh, well, I'm working with artists who are really good, so right. I'm going to like go up with them." It's like that's not the case. Right. It's usually not the case um I have a bit of a luxury in that I have quite a few label contacts who use me now at this stage, which has been years of developing relationships and executing good work for people. So it doesn't happen as often, but it does happen quite a bit where at this stage, there's a lot of artists I've worked with who have, you know, have done really well the records I've been a part of or mixers and other producers, my buddies, and then they get signed and then they move on, which is, you know, ultimately the goal of like, I mean, I want everybody I work with to succeed, but you've got to go in with the right expectation of knowing, hey, if this record blows up and Capitol Records signs this artist, there's a strong possibility that I will not be on the ne- next record, you know? And then you you just accept that, that that's the reality and you don't be butthurt about it and you move on. And you don't think, you don't take things personally. It's a little frustrating. If an indie label <laughs> signs though, you probably will be a part of that. Though. Correct, yeah. Yeah. So indies are a lot different than majors. Right. And so indies you'll normally like normally the band or producer or whatnot will still like spec out the like what's gonna happen as opposed to right. a major. So So sometimes though, what I do with a couple of my clients who I'm been with forever now that do kind of artist development stuff, we have contracts now that says basically we all go with you, <laughs> which we make the artist sign. It says like if you sign a record <laughs> deal we are on the next two records, you know, or you got to buy us out essentially. So that's saved me a couple times where then the label's like, great, you've got a team and it's a contract and the artist is very, you know, if you can get an artist to commit to that too, that says a lot about the artist believing in you as well. Yeah. If the artist is like, ah, I don't know, then you can be like, well, I think you're just looking for a good deal then. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, if you're not willing to take me with you on the, the next record after I've just made a record that, you know, got you 10 million streams, you know, we should probably negotiate. I need to get paid more than, you know, up front. And yeah. then you can just take it and go, which is great. So there's all sorts of things to negotiate with your clients. And it all, to me, circles back to your own goals. And you've got to constantly be calculating and reevaluating probably that formula of what is the type of work I want to do, need to do in order to hit my financial goals in order for me to run a sustainable company that best serves my clients and also serves you. It's got to be able to take care of you to where you can be your best self, best husband, father, partner, whatever you are and will grow into over a career. Because that's what a lot of people don't think about is like a career involves so many seasons of life that you don't think about. Like when you just start, you're just like, I'm just somebody, maybe you're single out of college, in college, in high school. It's, it's starting younger and younger and you just think, oh, I just need to make 2,000 bucks a month and that'll be great. You know, well, yeah, if you're living with four people eating ramen, like, great. But then you have a partner and then you want to have a kid and then you want to have a car and then you want to have health insurance. Like, and then you want to have a, a microphone and stuff just adds up really quickly. And people don't realize that you have to kind of keep growing and then eventually you'll hit, in my opinion, what I've seen most people hit this tipping point where you're making enough over the top to where 
you can choose to do one of two things. You can hire an assistant to try and make more money. Of course, that assistant will cost you money. Or, mm-hmm. you know, for me, and I've talked about it before, and I've talked about it with my wife too, is like, I cap myself. So I don't have any plans on making Moses Mastering into a giant company and hiring assistants so I can just sit in the room and crank out masters and not talk to anybody or not ever have to print an instrumental again or DDP. Like, mm-hmm. I am at a place where I've capped the amount of work I do. And when I have like basically too much work, I just tell people this is when I can get to it or I could recommend someone else. And most of the time, they'll either wait or they're just like, they just go somewhere else randomly. Like they don't even want a recommendation. And at that stage too, once again, it's kind of like, okay, you're probably just coming here. And and when I say something like it's not like the person is being mean or doesn't care, but you know, they're not necessarily coming to me for what I do. I always want to find clients that love what I do. Um, Cause that usually makes for the best relationships and experience for everybody. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something like if you, I've noticed as I've raised my rates within my market, people seem to take me more seriously. That's just my experience of being in Nashville. The more I've charged, and I pretty much charge a pretty competitive rate, and there's a lot of big, bigger, not a lot, honestly, but say 10, 10 other people in town who are bigger than me, and they're charging maybe a little more than me, but I know for a fact that they're doing heavily discounted work on and off, or they have things mm-hmm. with labels where they're getting, mm-hmm. if a label has a new artist, they're like, all right, we'll do it for half. Like, I know that's going on because I'm starting to be shot out against people and then they're comparing dollars to dollars and all this stuff. So I'm getting into another level even this year of, of whatever is going on, and I'm sure I'll have even a different view of rates in another couple of years, <laughs> but... Anyway, sometimes... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, it gets into a funny episode that we started recording but ended up not releasing of why we... Of, 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 about shootouts. Right, And yes. we started like, oh, we don't like them. And then we're like, wait, we get business from shootouts. Right. So we're not going to release this episode. Right, and there's a difference between spec work and shootouts too. Yeah. So... That could be a whole other episode. But anyway. We're not going to do an episode on shootouts. If you like shootouts, It's a good episode. It's a really good episode on our opinion on it. (laughs) But we can't release it. And a lot of times, too, just in a nutshell, you get in shootouts, you didn't even know you are in a shootout. So um, at that stage, it's out of your control. Which came from me and Sam being put in a shootout. Together. (laughs) Not knowing. Which was fun. And somebody else as well. So anyway... No comments. Digress on that one. Just an interesting, never a dull day. But anyway, I think people need to take time, go back to your formula, and really hammer out like what you want to work on, what's the market, and don't be afraid to raise your rates. Um, Don't be afraid to lower your rate back down, especially if it allows you to do what you want to do. So like, say you're at 100 and you want to go to 150, so then you're making... 25% 25% more that year. But if nobody hires you, then you have a worse year. It could be a transition year where you lose some clients and gain some clients. And then the next year you gain a lot of clients. I've kind of had that over the years where mm-hmm. I've never not grown, but there's been periods. I'll say it hasn't ever been a year long, but say three to four months where you're like, all right, something's shifting. And I, if I want to this might just take some time to build up momentum again at this new rate with these new clients that know other clients who pay this rate. Because that's the other thing too, is like once you start meeting mixers or labels that are used to paying 150 to 250 a song, they know a whole lot of other people usually that are used to paying that. So it's no longer weird. Um, So that's another kind of thing you don't realize happens at first you might think well no one's going to pay this but if you find one person that will they probably hang around other people that pay that or are used to that and find the value in it um that's like the whole seth go and people like us do things like this that's his whole mantra for his this is marketing book which i love but that's essentially to me what i've observed in nashville is like people like us do things like this so the clients that pay me 150 a song who are independent wouldn't you know, they know 30 other people who are used to paying that or more, you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's just kind of a chain reaction. So 
that's kind of my thoughts on all that. And that's my 30 minute monologue. And we need to wrap. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I sent, yeah, I got like three minutes till I got to go. Yeah, and I got to go um, too. So I will say like one thing in this yes. that um, <clears throat> if you have a large market, if you're part of a large, say, network, so like if you live in a music city, LA, New York, Nashville, Atlanta, um, you can totally get away with navigating this whole rate game um, with a little bit... Um, there, there's, there's a little less like negativity that can kind of come your way because someone's like, oh, well, that's BS. I'm not paying that. And it's like, okay, well, you just kind of have like another thing like right around the corner that these people are willing to pay that. And so you just kind of move on and you proceed. So it's the luxury of uh, having a little bit of an oversaturation to a market. Um, my whole thing, in all honesty, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Um, I'll more than likely let y'all know, or y'all can probably go on my website and I don't know, a few weeks or so and see uh, what I'm doing. Or you can reach out to me and I'll let you know what I'm doing in my whole thought process. And if you're going through the same thing, feel free to reach out because, I mean, this is like a whole community effort. Like we did a, I think it was like two uh, seasons ago, it was like episode one was like community versus competition. And I'm more for community than I am uh, competition. I mean, Sam and I are technically competition, but we're also pretty damn good friends. So um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do, but um, when in doubt, confront the formula uh, TE plus VA multiplied by M, what your market is willing to pay, is your rate. So, um, yeah, I guess I'll let y'all know what I do, but um, I'm not worried in any case. And it's it's more like if I want to proceed at the rate that I am, I know exactly how to do it. But I also don't want to. I, I I don't want to outprice the market that I really care the most about. So there's a. The little uh, little yin and a yang to kind of deal with there. So I'm sure we'll do a follow-up on another rate episode. So anywho, I have three seconds until I need to go, you as well. <laughs> and do you have anything else for the people? No, that's it. Cool. If you are hearing a sweet, sweet beat queuing up in the background of the podcast, that is curated by the one and only Sam Moses. I believe it's of the spy genre today. <laughs> Correct. And I mean, we'll we'll see what Sam comes up with. There will apparently be share in this episode because you should share this episode. If you need a mastering engineer, uh, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. And yeah, if you liked what we said, you can like, comment, subscribe give us thumbs up some stars some more comments or reach out to us most importantly if you wouldn't mind just sharing this episode with a friend that would be fantastic so morning afternoon evening whatever y'all are having have a darn good one we'll catch y'all in the next episode cue the music cue it